0: Good evening, morning, afternoon, uh, listeners of the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. We'd like to welcome you to what must be at least our 15th podcast of this season. Uh, I'm joined, as I always am, by Mike Krupka and John Colisimo. How are you guys doing?
1: I'm doing good, man. Um, you know, getting excited uh, as we head into draft season, as my regular season high kind of starts to mellow out. So I'm, you know, excited all over again uh, with new information for the draft. So it feels good.
2: Yeah, man, doing good over here. Likewise, on my end, definitely drinking um, draft information through a, a fire hose and uh, getting really excited for the upcoming months here it's uh It's all good things on the horizon for browns fans
0: I, I admire that both of you guys are adults and you've transitioned into what should be the normal part of the off season in which you're like looking at college players and you're evaluating talent to get ready for the next phase of the browns off season. I am not off of my high from the regular season. I am clearly still enjoying every bit and piece uh, of what happened over the course of this last season and the last couple of days have really reinforced that as I've listened to you know a couple of the podcasts and as I've I've gone into looking at the, the needs for the Browns team whether it be in free agency of the draft like it's just provided me a, a, another opportunity to, to remember how great the season was and, and you should never feel that way about a seven and nine team you should never feel greatness happen for a team that only won seven games but Legitimately, this was still one of the most exciting Brown seasons of all time. And I'm, I'm grateful that the, the residual, the, the, the residue of the season that, that we have in the offseason is still so positive. Uh, as I look at draft needs, whether it is uh, through uh, pro player acquisition or, or in the draft, it's just good to know that the Browns can run it back. They can bring the guys that they have uh, on the, uh, in, in the clubhouse right now. They can bring the guys that are in the locker room back on the field and I think they can hang with just about anyone guys are going to progress this is still far and away one of the youngest rosters uh, in the league and when you look at the top four or five players or top four or five positions of impact whether it's offensive line defensive line quarterback uh, skill players uh, it's a team that doesn't have a ton of money wrapped up in those critical players so you're going to see a lot of acquisition you're going to see a very aggressive front office so I'm still kind of uh, loving it. I'm still kind of marinating in what happened this season, and I'm appreciative to have two guys on this podcast that really know their shit when it comes to uh, college players and and talent acquisition and and know what this team is going to need to do in order to get better. Um, but before we get into talking about team needs and, and um, what the Browns are going to be doing in the draft, I just kind of wanted to recap what's been going on in the last two weeks. We, we did not record last week due to John uh, – Globe globe trotting, trekking across the world, seeing the northern lights. You know, soaking up the Icelandic baths. Um, we're good, We're glad to have John back in uh, the states. But how was the uh, how was the trip to Iceland?
1: Uh, it was phenomenal, actually. You know, I haven't done a lot of these vacations like that. I, uh, my wife and I both work full time, more than full time. So a lot of the vacations the last ten years have been just going home for holidays and maybe going to a beach once in a while. So this was really cool. We went over the, you know, went around the whole island, saw just about everything you'd want to see during this season over there, but it it was great. We got uh, some pretty amazing pictures. We had a good time. We were appropriately dressed, so we were not freezing cold. And it it was a really good time. And I would definitely go back uh, during the summer next time, just, you know, because it's a whole different place. It goes from one extreme to another. So it
0: was pretty awesome. Yeah. I like how Iceland completely out of nowhere has become the place that everybody who's anybody has been going to over the last two or three years. And I know some of that is that the flights are cheaper and that they are really incentivizing tourism there, but it's just not a place that as a kid, I would expect everybody to want to go to, but everybody I know that has been, has had a great trip. The locals have been great. The food has been fun. Uh, you know, plenty of, uh, of good nightlife. if That's what you're looking for. And just from a, uh, a place to see cool stuff. It, it's it's kind of unparalleled. Is there, I, Mike, I know you're really into uh, the Icelandic trip and you were really jealous of John's trip. Is there any place that's like that for you that you're just like, place everything that I need to get into and, and I can't wait to visit soon? It's,
2: it, it's Iceland and, and- It's still just oddly, Iceland? It's still just Iceland and, and oddly enough, it didn't really come about for me until I started to get into uh, droning and taking drone videos, drone
0: photos. Is that a verb, droning?
2: <laughs> let's Could not be. do this again. Let's not do it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: right, let's,
2: let's just go with it while we're droning over here. But no, so, <laughs> you know, drone right, on, right on. So, so yeah, so I got into that and I started to look at, you know, photos and whatnot, and that got me into it. And um yeah, just it's just a beautiful place. And that's definitely complete opposite of where I'm at. But uh i yeah, I'm, I'm very jealous of John. I'm glad that he had a good time. And uh, I've heard nothing about good things as well. Uh, it's a little pricey that's kind of the only caveat that I think people always throw in there. But other than that, if you're, you know, if you're well-prepared and you do your research, it's, uh, you know, a once in a lifetime kind of amazing trip.
0: Yeah, man. And it's just, you know, I think that, uh, it's always been in like my top five places. It's always been, it's always made the short list, but it's behind places that are a lot warmer and have (laughs) a lot more exotic wildlife, I guess, uh, for no other way to put it. But, um, yeah, I'm. I'm glad that that John got a chance to take this trip, and Mike. I hope you get the opportunity to to head over there sometime soon. But uh, getting back to to talking about the Brown stuff, it's been a tumultuous couple of weeks. Freddie Kitchen is now full time head coach, which we kind of vacillated on on this podcast a little bit earlier in the year. We liked Freddie. Uh, we were excited for the person that Freddie is, and excited to see what he could do. But we tried to pump the brakes early on thinking that capability equaled magnificence, that, that uh, putting out a better than average product was innovation. And it wasn't really until we got six, seven games worth of uh, a game tape and we watched Freddie get better. We watched him iterate. We watched him improve on his own stuff. that we really got to a place where we were like, shit, this is the guy that we need to keep around. This is the guy that we can't afford to lose. And a lot of that is the, the paradigm shift in the NFL where we've come to understand that if you have a brilliant offensive mind, uh, there's no job outside of head coach that's going to keep him in house. That that if you, you you have a guy that that proves that he can get more out of the talent that's in place, every NFL team has talent, and they're gonna those guys are going to get poached, and those guys are going to get an opportunity to be head coaches. So I think we all kind of came to a point where we had to uh, understand that if Freddie is who he looks like, and through seven games he looks like the real deal, but the only way that we were going to be able to keep him in house was to make him a head coach. So we we transitioned neatly from. I don't know if this is sustainable as an offense to if we got to keep him around, we're going to have to make a, make him a head coach to a place where we looked at the coaching hires and we said, can Freddie have the gravitas necessary to bring a coat, to bring a coaching staff in around him that can support him and that can make the team uh, as a whole better than some of its parts. And I think the last two weeks for me, at least has been an absolute slam dunk in that category. I think a lot of the coaching hires have been inspired So all that being said, uh, there were some names that were were a lot more surprising than others um, that the Browns were able to bring in to fill out the staff. I think it's a very mature staff. Was there anybody that really jumped off the paper for you guys that were surprise hires or that um, you think were huge gets for the Browns?
1: Munkin, I think, was a a pretty big hit. I mean, when you talk about Freddie was going to continue calling plays, you would have thought that that kind of uh, eliminated him as an option uh, he did do some interviews himself for head coaching jobs this year, um, and he did a pretty damn good job down in Tampa Bay. So uh, it wasn't something I anticipated being able to reel him in without giving him the play calling duties, which you know I, didn't, I wasn't really interested in doing necessarily because Freddie was so good at it this uh, this past season. But uh, so that was a surprising uh, in a good way for sure.
0: Is there anything that's more of a like uh, very obvious? sign that baker mayfield is exactly what folks want him to be then guys who are willing to give up play calling duties to come be a coach just to put it on the resume of this kid knowing that it's gonna vault their career like it will
1: yeah i mean i love it and remember this is something that they said that that was going to be the opposite effect right people don't want to you know yeah. deal with uh, that strong personality
2: yeah i think it just speaks to just how talented he is and um just how wrong uh, people's assessments were about his personality I, I love the the monk and hire after the fact I, I didn't really know too much about him going into it but I did obviously I guess was aware of the 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 efficiency of the Tampa Bay offense uh, when looking at their wide receivers and their tight ends and that's got me excited uh, specifically for Callaway I think he is going to thrive in the system and uh, I think our tight ends are, are going to be um a lot more active in the red zone, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about that, and I'm, you know, equally as excited uh, about Wilkes, another coach that I didn't really know too much about. Um, I'm excited to see where that kind of takes our defense, and uh,
0: yeah, I like how people kind of freaked out about Wilkes because they were like, "Oh, he played three linebackers all the time, just like Greg Williams did." That was a big part of the Greg Williams problem, and it was, it decidedly was a big problem with Greg Williams that he just could not get the linebackers off the field. But Greg Williams didn't have Thomas Davis or Luke Kuechly roaming in the middle of the field either. Like Thomas Davis and and Luke Kuechly will stay on the field because they are better than most of the defensive backs you're going to put on the field. The reason that Wilkes ran the kind of defense he did was based on the personnel he had. And what he did in transitioning from Sean McDermott the year before is that he took the pieces that he had in place and he made them work in a way that they should have worked from the, from the start. Sean McDermott built a resume based on, on a really talented roster. Steve Wilkes made that roster go, and he took all the pieces and made them better. It was kind of like when Ray Horton left uh, Arizona after getting great accord for what he did with that Arizona defense. And then um, I forget who relieved him over there, but immediately the team got better as soon as he left because it was like, oh, now we're going to take this talent, this incredible bevy of people, and, and we're going to make them fit and work like they're supposed to. Um, and Campin was
1: another one that I was excited about. You know, I wanted to get rid of um, Bob Wiley and uh, didn't see camping coming at all, and that's that, that's a good one for me.
0: That's going to get you smashed around the, uh, the internet circles a little bit because people love Bob Wiley, and I'm not sure if it's because Bob Wiley is colorful and fun or if they really attribute having three Pro Bowl caliber interior guards as being something that he did and not something that he was gifted with. Mike?
2: Yeah, I think it was – in a way, for a fan, for the fans, as a fan, it was a great thing that you know with uh, Hard Knocks to see his personality come out. But from a, yeah, from a coaching perspective, I think he left a lot to be desired. And I think there's an added value to John's comment about um, about campen is that you know he, he's got a ton of experience, and not not only as an offensive coach, but also as an assistant head coach, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. him coming in and being Again, not just in charge of the offensive line, who are already talented, but now giving us a chance to actually develop the guys that you know need the time and and the coaching to do that. But to be there for Freddie with his experience as an assistant head coach, I'm excited for for that impact. Uh, just overall, I think Freddie has surrounded himself with a lot of guys that are open to collaboration, and he's open to collaboration. If one thing is evident in all those interviews at the end of this, you know, at the end of the process, was that. You know, he wants to talk and he wants to get answers and have conversations. He, he's like the anti-Hugh. So I'm just excited to see how all these guys work together.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot of guys with uh, previous quarterbacking experience. It's it's clearly something that uh, Kitchens uh, relies on and thinks is of value. Guys who've played the quarterback position before and understand the offense in a way that the rest of the position coaches don't. And also there's there's former head coaches and aspiring head coaches on this roster up and down. There's a lot of guys who – will be running their own teams at some point or have run their own teams historically and, and, and have loud voices and uh, have been around the league for a little bit. So it's clear that, that Kitchens has a plan for how he flushes out his roster. And that was allegedly what John Dorsey really found attractive in the Freddie Kitchens interviews is that when he spelled out his vision for this team, he was able to say clearly, this is how I'm going to build the staff. And this is it. This is, this, this is exactly it. This is a lot better than I expected.
2: It's better than googly eyes down there and wherever he ended up at the Jets. That was. Can you imagine that that press conference in Cleveland? I mean, I, I don't understand what happened there, but we won't we won't linger. But can you imagine if that was what was brought into Cleveland? It would be like I'm throwing in my chips. I'm done.
0: There's only one or two explanations for that, and it's either drugs, which is the obvious answer, or. The non-obvious answer is that there's some sort of a disability that I'm just not aware of. There's some sort of like a cerebral palsy type thing going on, and I'm going to feel really bad about making jokes about it later, but there's something very seriously going wrong going on over there, and I just could not look away. It was like a car accident. I could not stop watching Adam Gay's press conference videos because they were just so ridiculous that I couldn't look away.
1: Yeah, that gif that was going around um, on Twitter with uh, him following a uh, Taco, Completely hilarious.
2: (laughs) Absolutely, I feel I feel bad for Darnold, man. That's that's just
1: oh man. Oh, you know, and they just hired Roggins too. I saw that too. I
0: I I have a hard time feeling bad for Jets fans or for Darnold because Gase can coach up a team. gauge Gase can set up an offense to succeed. It's all going to come down to a question of whether he can get along with his players and get along with the other coaches. Uh, which was the biggest problem down in Miami, is that he just had all these weird uh, falling outs of the players. And it was very obvious towards the end of his tenure there that guys are just sick of his shit. Guys just weren't going to back him up. And when veteran players had a chance to endorse him or or had a chance to say, you know, this is a guy that inspires us right. to do our best, none of them took the opportunity to do so. They all threw him under the bus. So so there was clearly something foul and something rotten going on in Miami. And, and you're going to learn very quickly in New York whether that is Gase, and that is who Gase is, or whether that was just a weird product of Ross and his screwed-up management scheme down there. And I think it's equally likely that it's both. Um, and I think that this was a really uninspiring crop of NFL talent. Everybody's looking for the next Sean McVay, and there weren't any obvious candidates for that. And and I guess you could say that there wasn't any obvious candidates for Sean McVay when he was hired. That nobody expected him to get hired as a head coach, but. The the pool of candidates was not terribly deep, and you see that with as quickly as guys like Adam Gase got hired, and you see that as quickly as teams are willing to get into bed with guys like uh, Flores from from New England, who don't really have a coaching resume, so to speak. Of teams had to take some leaps of faith. So, in the case of uh, Gase, at least you're getting a proven quantity in as far as production goes. So, so we'll see if the off the field stuff, we'll see if the locker room stuff manifests itself with the second team. I think that. He'll be on a short leash because of things like that, and I think that you can do a lot worse. Uh, moving on to the Browns and Browns specific offseason news, uh, one of the one of the great memes of the day on Twitter was was people saying what the team needs to do in the offseason and kind of ranking it in terms of what they have to change, what they should change, and what they can change. And John and I got into a couple uh, back and forths about it, and 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 Mike, I know you and I have talked about it a lot. I think that it's going to be the topic for the next four months is what are the things that the Browns have to do to get better? The things that they can't afford to wait on, things that they have the capital in place and they need to address aggressively up front. And what are the things that, you know, it could be a lot better if, but if we run it back with the talent that we had in 2017, this position is still good enough. It's nice to have this conversation. It's not one that we're used to having as Browns fans. how How do you feel about the exercise?
2: Little did you know, but John and I have already been uh, debating this topic uh, almost extensively. We've been talking about just the, the difference in philosophies and then what the things are that we need versus what we don't need. It's It's been fun. It's going to continue to uh, to unravel and unfurl here in the, in the weeks to come. But as you <laughs> said, this is going to be a, 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 an ongoing topic. But for me we definitely need to address the defensive line I said it last off season that it was our weakness going into the into the season um, we need to address it we need depth guys can't be playing the you know the the most snaps in the whole league. Uh, and, can, you know, we can't continue to count on them to produce at, at that sort of uh, usage. So we need to attack the defensive line. Um, we can debate where, but I definitely want to add at least two to three bodies inside and then probably two edge players and two linebackers. That's kind of my list in, like, top priority down, down the line.
0: So, John, like, I know that you agree with Mike and I that defensive line is something that needs to be addressed ASAP. But I think you have a very different approach to how you want to go about doing it.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, what I'd like to do is—it's—it's it's hard to say exactly who's going to make it all the way to free agency right now, um, as far as some of the possibles. But what I'd like to see them do is go hard in the paint, you know, when free agency starts, and get at least one impact guy. Um, and I'd like to get an impact rotational guy too for pass rushing. Just like you spend some cash, fill that starter role uh, at three tech, uh, get a good rotational pass rusher, and then start backfilling with with some of these depth guys that we can develop over the next two, three years as we need to shed some salary to sign some of our own guys. You know, this is what, you know, you see, I mean, the good teams like, say, Baltimore, who just consistently has had this great defense. They're Mm -hmm. constantly developing these young guys underneath. Well, the problem is right now we still have holes just right on the starter end. And for me, to accelerate our... You know our path to not just getting to the playoffs, but winning games there, I think we need to jumpstart that by getting some real impact since we can afford to pay market value right now where a lot of these playoff teams can't.
0: Yeah. Did you see the cap situation for the Eagles?
1: Uh, what are they, negative 11 or something?
0: Yeah, Ryan Alden posted it. They're $16 million dollars off the <laughs> jump. And I'm, I get that this is funny money and none of this shit really matters, but $16 million dollars means at some point you're going to have to get creative this offseason, and everybody's not coming back. And when they have 12 defensive linemen that, that are pro bowl caliber, at some point you're going to have to to get rid of a couple of them, which is why I, I know that you've kind of fixated on Brandon Graham and, and your your offseason mock draft scenarios as a guy that the Browns can get their hands on.
1: Yeah, if they let him get to free agency, uh, his, his pass-rushing production is just off the friggin' charts. He's had one of the top seasons as far as pressures go, um, and he's doing it amongst guys that have pass-rushed Two, three times as much. So, mm. yeah, I would love, you know, I know he's 30, um, but that's exactly the kind of guy that I want to go and bring in here for these next two years, you yeah. know, as we season some of the guys that we bring in from, you know, this great draft class. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm not incredibly seasoned in terms of the, the free agent market and who's out there. I, I, I love the the idea that, you know, that you're bringing. If, if I'm the executive, you bring it to my table and I'm, I'm looking at it, I, I could get behind. Again, and we've talked about this, making a big splash at the defensive line um, and free agency, even on on the edge and and free agency. Uh, We've got the money to do it. But The specific player uh, is debatable for me, but I like that approach a lot, John.
0: Yeah, I I guess I'm just not that fixated on defensive line in general. Uh, I think the Browns have good edge rushers. I think that between Avery, Agba, and Garrett, you have a, a solid foundation. You need to add a body to that, but I don't need it to be a premium body. I'd love a Brandon Graham and I'd love, I I guess I'd love a Fowler if he came out at the right price. Um, There are guys out there that I think can flush out the rotation, but for me, it is just such a critical kryptonite level transgression, not having anybody else in the middle besides Larry Ogunjobi that I just want to throw all of the resources I can at that place. And, and, the conversation yep. really begins and ends there. The Browns defense, I can talk myself into every other position group, but I can't talk myself into what they have a defensive line, interior. And I think they need to add a premium talent at that position, whether it's in the first round of the draft or in free agency. And, John, I think that you have kind of talked yourself out of defensive line in the first round. You've said repeatedly that uh, you just would like to go in a different direction.
1: Well, I, I think part of that is uh, I worry about some of these positions that can't typically be addressed in free agency, or if you do, like the offensive you know, line? yes. <laughs> Specifically, like the you know offensive tackle is not going to get fixed any other way than the draft. It's just not going to. You know, I don't know. I haven't finished my evaluations to know whether there's truly one that's worth taking at seventeen or you know around fifty. You know, but I know that we need to get some bodies in here and start figuring that out because anybody who's I think people are on a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a high over those last 8 games where Baker only got touched like 4 times. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, that was, Brady a was able to, <laughs> to happen. But, but you just imagine that that Browns team like if if, if guys don't remember what it was like playing against, uh, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers. They destroyed, you know, our bookends. And I I have no interest in facing an Eagles team or any of these uh, truly great uh, contenders out here uh, in the playoffs with Greg Robinson. And, um, right. covered. you yep. know, I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. And so, uh, you know, if there's the guy that's worthy, you know, it's a very deep class as far as that DT goes. I also want to bring in two, three bodies, but, mm-hmm. uh, I'd love to do it in those middle rounds where say, you know, in a, in a class this deep, maybe you're getting second round talent in the, in the third round. And that sounds really good to me. And packing a few of those bodies in and developing them sounds a lot better than just skipping offensive tackle this year. Yeah, yeah I agree I with you. and I, I would really
0: like to to slide Greg Robinson over to right tackle where he kind of belongs. He, uh, he's had a good season, and I agree with Jake Burns in that the difference between his production and his tape from last year to this year is dramatic, and a lot of that probably has to do with the work that he put in in the off season um, with the O line gurus. But I just think that with a guy like Campin who has made his living off of finding guys in the middle of the draft and developing on them, slide in and how little an emphasis you need to place on, on, on buying premium talent for those positions with a guy like Baker that's going to get the ball out of his hands early. I just think that in a draft that's as stacked as, as this is at defensive line, you've got to get one of those uh, premium talents at some point, whether that is the guy that inevitably falls into the second round early and you move up to get him, or whether that is a guy in the first round, the Browns have all of the draft capital in the world to be able to move around however they want. They're not stacked in the first two rounds, but they have a ton of picks the fourth through seventh so I hope that they can go up and get somebody that makes a difference in the middle there that's young that's going to be under club control for a couple of years is going to be cheap in addition to that I also really want to throw some money at the position Mike what do you think
2: yeah I mean I I love the debate I love the thought process behind both approaches I'm, I'm I lean more towards Josh's thought process here in terms of wanting to add defensive talent early because the group is so good on the front end. It's deep, but it's so good on the front end. But if we were to address offensive line, there are a couple guys that I like. One guy I know has been get, getting a lot of steam over again the last couple days, last couple weeks, and that's Dillard. Uh, the other guy that I that I really like is Kajust. Um, he is a super athletic, super stout, strong, he can move, and as soon as he gets his hands on you, you're done. And he's just – I could envision him on the left side, and if we're going to go that route and he's there, again, he's a guy I could, I could be uh, stoked about.
0: What I like about Kajus is that he started the offseason as one of like, the top three uh, offensive tackles in college football, and, and nothing changed over the course of the season. He was just solid all year, and he never gave you anything that would, that would lead you to believe that you should question his tape. He was a guy that stood out completely. John, do you have anybody in that tackle class? I know you've
1: mocked a couple of them and you've talked about a couple of them on Twitter. That really stands out to you as, as a guy that the Browns should target early? Yeah, I think that uh, Mike brought it up. I think Dillard is a guy that um, you know has exceptional feet and you know he can move. Uh, people question what he'll do uh, against bull rushes and things like that, but I think his skills are in the right spot.
0: Right on. And what we're going to do uh, for the for the seven listeners of this pod is, is starting soon. We're going to take these guys and we're going to walk through some of the college production tape, and we're going to talk about what specifically in their tape you should look for and what what makes these players attractive as draft prospects for the Browns. We're going to break down, look at the punch for these guys, look at the flexibility, the hip bend, the the way these cornerbacks flip their hips. Uh, we're going to talk about the things that that really uh, get the scouts uh, panties in a bunch and and help you understand when we get thirsty for these college talents on Twitter while we're, we're, we're going down that road. So, so we're hoping that you guys uh, check out these video pods. We're probably gonna start producing them in the next three or four weeks. And we're hoping to bring in uh, some of our favorite uh, draft analysts that we've connected with over the course of the last couple of years. And we've done podcasts with over the course of the years uh, that can give you their perspectives as non Browns fans, uh, but as guys who cover college football and the the draft year round. So, so, so stay tuned and look forward to that. So, so going back to the position, Debate as its group. Obviously, we have a difference of opinion in in how the defensive line groupings are are handled. For me, another one that I think that we had a big difference of opinion on was the defensive backfield. Uh, personally, I think that the Browns' defensive backfield is the second most set position group on the team. I think that quarterback is obviously number one, and uh, running back is is obviously number two, with guys like Chubb and, and Duke Johnson who serve such complementary roles. But Behind them, the defensive backfield, I think the Browns are in great position. with Denzel Ward on the outside and a bevy of very competent guys uh, manning the two and three spots. I would love to see them add talent, but when you have Demarius Randle patrolling center field and Julius Pepper and Derek Kindred doing a great job of being flexible and being able to cover tight ends and being able to to, to thump in the run game, I just don't see that being a a huge position to need. Uh, John and Mike, I know you feel a little bit differently about that. Can you tell me why? You think that's possession that needs to be addressed early? Well,
1: I'll tell you how I view it. I mean, obviously, I I love what we have in Peppers and Randall. I feel very confident in our starters there. I'm not as high on Kindred. Um, he's he's fine for what he is. I want to see Jabril Peppers take the majority of yeah. the snaps this year. Uh, they split way too much for uh, for my taste this year. And I like Denzel Ward. I don't love that he got two concussions his rookie year. You know, he's a fantastic back, and he's going gonna to provide value for this uh, for this roster for the next three years. But once you get past him, I, I don't really like anybody. <laughs> you know, I like <laughs> you know, I like uh, we we have a decent contract with uh, Terrence Mitchell. Nice, and on yeah. cheap. He's, uh, I like that contract quite a bit. Um, so not nobody. I, I mean, not nobody. But you know, there's people out there. Um, you know, that will argue with you that. Uh, that coverage is more important than pass rushing in today's NFL, and, and yeah, I don't see anybody that I feel real confident in. I mean i I would be drafting two cornerbacks minimum, and Murphy falls in the in the first round. I mean, I'm I'm running to the to the podium and turning that card in. Yeah, and one.
0: I hear you on Murphy. I really like him a lot, but. For me, with what you saw from Terrence Mitchell in training camp, when he was turning heads, when he was really, really the, the hidden gem that, that every Browns beat reporter and analyst uh, wanted to talk about, and then the, the good performance he put on in the preseason and in the first couple games, you saw a guy that is a very capable number two corner. Obviously, EJ Gaines is a, a head scratcher because you don't know if he's going to want to stick around. I know he was kind of promised a chance at the starting role and that fell off when Terrence Mitchell took the job from him and then he got injured. But um, between him, Carey, and Ward between Mitchell, Carey, and Ward, I thought you had three guys that you could really build around. I'm not opposed to what you're saying to throwing some talent at the position and making sure that you have the the bench depth that you need, or even bringing in another guy on the same kind of deal that you got Mitchell on where it's, it's kind of front loaded you give a guy a chance to start. But I like this cornerback group. I think that, especially after last year, in which they really uh, clearly hated the group they had and, and aggressively went after it in uh, free agency, um, you're in a much better spot. And I and I like that uh, BBC got a chance to really uh, right the ship and get five or six games worth of tape uh, up last year to to prove that he belongs in this group too.
1: Let me let me break it down like this: like what I what I see is as I'm looking at like a three year plan, you know, mm-hmm. for this roster. Uh, I'm just picking out contracts that I know that we're going to have to turn over as we get closer to the cap, which is closer than people think. But, you know, I'm just looking at at contracts that I know we're going to have to turn over. T.J. Carey is one of those. You know, our linebacker situation is awful, where Joe Schobert's going to need a new contract soon, Christian Kirchie's contract looks terrible right now, and Jamie Collins will be shown the door. Yeah. You know, I just – I think we just need to bring in more youth because when, if you're going to get, if you're going to let Kerry go as soon as possible and you're not, say, probably going to bring Gaines back, the, both those guys need replacements and Gaines needs one now and Travis, you know, TJ Carey is going to need one before next year.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, you bring up a really good point. I guess for me right now in the process, the whole offseason, we've talked about trying to, I guess, surround Baker with talent and, and with Baker with what he needs to be successful and keeping that in mind with the the list that I have I, I would just taking cornerback in the first round wouldn't be the way I'd go but I I could definitely see addressing it with multiple picks I I can't argue the that the contract that you know carries contract is bad we need we need to move on from that he didn't perform as well as I hoped he would he did perform better down the stretch but still um, not at the price that we have to pay for him so
1: and yeah, Murphy a- for me, by the way, is like it for me as far as first round. Like if, mm-hmm. if Murphy, if, if he's there, that's that's a guy I'm I'm taking. And there's really not anybody else, you know, outside of Julian Love testing way better than anybody thinks he would. That would be the only other person that that would grab my interest in uh, at number seventeen. So I, you know, it's not like I have a list. Like there there might be a couple tackle guys in the end that I would feel comfortable with at seventeen, but there's only really one corner. You know, I do like love in the second round. But
0: fair
2: enough. Yeah, Murphy's an awesome cornerback. Let's, I mean, let's just be clear. He's he's really talented. I don't disagree with that at all.
0: And I think that we're we're getting to the point here that the Browns have to add an influx of both young talent, free agency to the defensive side of the ball. I think that on offense they can be a lot more selective and they can pick best player available and look to develop guys because they have a stable core of skill players in-house i liked uh does doug Lamarie's uh take on the browns film breakdown pod in which he talked about how the browns don't necessarily have a, a skill player that is a threat at all times he's on the field a player that is going to demand attention in double teams all the time um there's not a lot of those in the league you know you're talking about the mike evans and the obj types but that because the offense is so multiple and because the offense is so capable and because they're deep across the board and they have a lot of guys they can rely on, they might not need it, but that he'd like to see them add one of those kind of players. Um, I look for the Browns to be selective and look to add somebody of that caliber rather than adding other bodies to the pile. They have a lot of guys that are at the Rashard Higgins, David Njoku, Duke Johnson level of capability where they are premium players, but they are not necessarily uh, threats to, to, to break open the game every single time they touch the ball. So, so I'd like to see them add more players in that kind of elite tier, but they don't need to address more people in that second tier. Uh, whereas on the defensive side of the house, they clearly need to add that influx of talent. Yeah, I'd agree
1: with that. I'd agree with that. I, I want a tight end in this class, but it's not really because we need one. It's because this yeah. class is so good. And that, it's good to be. You know,
0: a, yeah, it's good to be a good enough team to where you can say that, where you can say, I want to grab a defensive tackle or a tight end in the 2019 class because it's a really good position group, yeah. whether you need it or not. And you see talented teams do that a lot. You see talented teams say, look, I've already got a lot of players at this position group, but if this guy or if one of these three guys falls to our pick, just because of the depth of the position, then we have to take them because that's what good teams do. So speaking of good teams, we are approaching the most insufferable two weeks of the year. And that insufferable two weeks is where we spend two weeks filleting ourselves about Bill, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. I don't know about you guys, but, I almost can't listen to NFL podcasts this week or watch uh, mainstream broadcasts just because I get sick of the same storylines. I get sick of the same stuff over and over and over again. Uh, People think that we hate the Patriots because they're so good. I'm getting to the point where I hate the Patriots because I'm sick of hearing the same shit year after year after year. Uh, How are you guys holding up in the sports landscape?
2: Yeah, I have struggled really – I struggled a lot to think about how I want to answer this question because you got to respect Tom Brady and you got to respect Bill Belichick. Mm -hmm. Absolutely what they do and and they are truly the best probably ever to do it so Mm -hmm. you have to give respect where respect is due but it just wears totally thin on me when these guys are you know the bet against a stick is just come on guys
0: we were underdogs (laughs) once
2: right it's like you know you guys are you guys have been so good for so long and then to play that card just makes it so insufferable and that's kind of where i'm at it's just I wouldn't be surprised if the guy with the green laser was from the Patriots. You know, I mean, it's just whatever they can do to get storylines and get this. Like, I don't know. I just it's it's really hard for me to to root for and get behind while simultaneously just being in awe of how good it is. It's it's horrible.
1: Yeah, I just you know as as usual, I just find myself you know rooting very hard against the Patriots and I have gotten to see some, you know, I, I think I would be a little bit more sick of them or, or angry if uh, I didn't get the 18 and one that, that really is just uh, that's like the saving grace is that no matter what, you know, that they will never have that one. And that's the one that they, you know, that yeah. they really want. The most. It's,
0: this, it's a Steph Curry's final MVP for a fan base. It was like the one thing that they were d- deprived of and denied they just fixate on incessantly. I absolutely love it. I, I found that the Patriots made me root for a Philadelphia sports team last year, which was a, an outcome that I didn't think I was ever going to be capable of doing. Like, for yeah. people who don't understand, and, and if you've lived in Cleveland your whole life, and, and this isn't pejorative, so please don't take it as such, like, you don't understand what the Philadelphia sports fan experience is like. Philadelphia sports fans are incredibly passionate. They are diehard across the board. They're fans of all their teams. They will not hear Fans or butts. Otherwise, you will meet some of the nicest human beings on the planet. And when they are in that zone where they are rooting for their Philly sports teams, it's like a deckle, Jekyll and Hyde thing where they just completely turn into a different person. Yeah. I have been to I've been to games there unobtrusively uh, with 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 no vetting, rooted rooting interest in either team, and watch them you know puke on fans and kick over porta potties and just all manner of reprehensible stuff. And I didn't even think twice about it. I was just like, yes, here's the team that is playing the Patriots. Like, I don't care that the city is going to riot and probably burn down in the middle of the night. Um, if they win, like, somebody has to deny the Patriots uh, this, this game. And that was a beautiful Super Bowl because of it. Uh, I really wanted this one to be the Chiefs and the Rams just because I wanted a repeat of that Monday night game, which was one of the most entertaining football games I've ever seen in my entire life. That, like, 50 to 45
2: Exactly. Like
0: Yeah. 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 But it was. It was a college football game. It was glorious. It was wonderful. And I wanted a repeat of that. Um, but in lieu of that, like, I'm just hoping that um, it's a it's a fun game and it's competitive and that the Rams win by two touchdowns. I don't know.
1: <laughs> that sounds good. Happy ending for everybody.
0: Yeah. I'm really. I'm really sad for all the Saints fans in the world. I know. Um, it's been a hot topic of debate, and people are probably sick of talking about it. Um, But I think the Saints fans have every reason to not get over it. I think that we are still remembering all the very creative ways that we've been jobbed out of wins in the regular season over the last couple of years. You can find any Browns fan on the street and say, do you remember that game in which the refs did X, Y, Z and prevented the Browns from winning? I'm thinking of like the Duke Johnson fumble game. I'm thinking of the Dwayne Rudd helmet throw. I'm thinking of Terrell Pryor literally holding the ball out in front of him and dropping it and getting flagged for taunting. Because the ball landed in the relative vicinity of another player, like we have been incredibly butthurt about some regular season losses, we've never seen the refs job us out of anything at that magnitude. And I don't care what the the what historically the refs have done for the New England franchise, that was one of the most egregious calls I've ever seen in my entire life in any sport. Mm. Um, yep. And Sean Payton is right that they're going to remember that forever they're going to think about that ending forever. Like it's never going to fade or or get better. So I understand why Saints fans are mad. You
2: no, know, I look at this, I looked at this the other day and I was thinking to myself there's going to come a time when thank, or not thank yous, but apologies uh, aren't going to do it anymore, especially at this level, at this type of competition, you know, at this game, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, doesn't cut it anymore. And I think yeah. it's, it's totally within the realm of debate. And I think, why why can't a, a defensive the, the the defense have some sort of a challenge when Tom Brady gets phantom hit in the face mask when it's yeah. that impactful on the third yeah. down, if I'm not mistaken, that was a third down, yeah. which would yeah. totally change the game. Totally yeah. changed the game. Same thing here. This pass interference call. Why can't why can't defenses challenge the ref's call on the field? Because time and time again we see that the, the refs are wrong and then the NFL issues an apology. It's like yeah, something has to be done and I think it's 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 not it's not a case of for me like I do get upset the refs suck look they do and look there was 15 other things that probably could have happened in that game yeah. to change the outcome for either team but still when it comes down to that when it's that close and that one moment I, I feel that that option has to be on the table for coaches and it's not yeah. and it's it's sad
0: and you know Belichick has uh campaign for that he said like every play should be reviewable like you should be able to go back and look at every single play if there's something egregious like that you should be able to fix it and people don't want six-hour football games but something's got to change and I don't know why the NFL refs suck at it The, the college football refs don't suck at it at this level there is not a there's not three or four calls in every single college football game in which the refs are deciding the fate of the game by, by the nature of their calls like the nfl refs are just bad and i don't know how to get better about it and i know that's a hot take i know that that's bullshit and that's uh,
1: non-solution based but jesus like well, every single game at this point well I, and i don't know why people think that it'd be a six-hour game I, I think it fits just fine within the challenge system you know you have x amount of challenges if you challenge yep. it and it's right then you don't lose one yeah fix it
2: absolutely six. That's exactly what I was going to say, John. Just, just add it into the system already. You know, maybe add an additional challenge, but you know, same, mm-hmm. same reply. If you get two right and you get a third, but you only get two, that's it.
0: You know what, though? And, and I'll close on this note. Um, all of this aside, I am so excited that we're not going to have to worry about another ticky-tack call in a New Orleans or uh, a, a New England Patriots game that's going to somehow impact the – Uh, Super Bowl odds because next year with guys like Patrick Mahomes kicking around and they're going to fix that defense and Baker Mayfield on the up and up like we're just not gonna have to deal with New England in this position for very long and and I am very excited for this to be replayed over and over and over again but I'm excited to get New England the fuck out of here and the guys in the AFC are going to do it I'm excited about the quarterbacks that are in place are going to do this
2: absolutely co-sign that just get them out of here. and Get them uh, out of here. Aloha, oi. Get out of here. See ya. Get-
0: <laughs> uh, on that note, um, I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time here digging into the draft prospects. There's a lot of exciting guys out there. If you're not following Mike, I'm not going to list his Twitter uh, uh, screen name here because it's ridiculous. Um, but follow Mike Krupka on Twitter, uh, John Calcimo, J Cosmo. Follow him for draft updates and, and, and takes on draft-eligible players uh in the coming weeks we're going to talk heavily about the guys that are coming out um, we're going to talk about uh free agent strategy There's a lot of content coming up it's an exciting off season to be a Browns fan I'm excited to, to go on this journey with the rest of you guys thanks for listening today um and hopefully uh you're listening next week when we get into the Browns
1: We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.